Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Gage. Gage is a free and open source test automation tool by ThoughtWorks with a goal of taking the pain out of test automation for acceptance tests. To help with this, Gage supports specifications and markdown, which are easy to read and easy to write. Reusable specifications to simplify your code, which makes refactoring easier and less code means less time maintaining your code. And finally, integration. Use Gage with your favorite tools and IDEs in the ecosystem of your choice, like Selenium and Sahi Pro, CI and CD tools like GoCD, Jenkins, Travis, and IDE support for Visual Studio, VS Code, IntelliJ, and more. Head to gage.org slash jsparty to learn more and give it a try. Once again, gage.org slash jsparty. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Welcome, welcome to another fantastic episode of JS Party. I'm your host this week, Nick Nisi, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Ives Van Horn. Uh, Ives, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. Yeah, my name is Ives Van Horn, and uh, it's super cool to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here, and we're talking about a project uh, that you've created and maintained called Code Sandbox. Uh, so for anyone in our audience that hasn't heard of that, can you give us a... a, a quick summary of what Code Sandbox is? Yeah, so Code Sandbox is an online editor where you can start web application projects like a Re React project or Angular or Vue project. And the cool thing is that whenever you save the project, you can share that URL with others and they can work on it as well. They can fork it or they can work on, on it with you together. So yeah, that's Code Sandbox in a very summarized way. Yeah, very cool. So it's uh, on basically an online environment for running uh, JavaScript projects uh, yeah. of all different shapes and sizes. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, so some of the things that that uh, I'm sure you get asked about all the time, uh, but where where did this idea come from for, for Code Sandbox? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a nice story. Um, so I think now three or two years ago, I was working full-time for a company called Catawiki. And we were converting our Ruby on Rails pages to React. So we were on Ruby on Rails 2, and we were converting them to a kind of single page application. And I was doing this with some coworkers. And at some point, I went on a vacation to St. Ives, and I didn't have my laptop with me. So at that point, I started getting questions from my coworkers about React or about React in combination with an NPM library. And I didn't really have any way to answer their questions because I couldn't spin up my local environment to test what they meant. So I had to kind of get their code snippets from Slack, put them through an interpreter in my head, and then give back the answers. And it was pretty hard to do. My interpreter is not that good. So uh, that's when the idea came with, uh, what if I put the local development environment on the web in a very accessible way? then you would be able to 
access their code snippets from anywhere, even if you're like on your mobile phone or if you uh, don't have your working laptop with you. So that idea kind of came into my head and I didn't do anything with it until I started studying. I um, started going to university and we started getting lectures about Java development. And I found that the first two lectures were like, okay, we this is pretty interesting. But at some point it started to get pretty boring. So I went to the ideas that I wrote down and I started working on the first one that came up. And that was an online code editor. And I started working on it during the lectures and we started getting more lectures and I started working more and more. And at some point I get, got very enthusiastic. I started to uh, invite my friend Boss to help with me and we started to work on it more and more. And in April, we released it with not many intentions. We weren't expecting a lot of response, but the response was much bigger than we expected. And that's kind of how Code Sandbox started. Wow. So uh, give me a time frame. April, is that uh, of 2017, 2016? 20, oh, that's a good question. Uh, 17, yeah. Cool. And uh, out of the box, did it just have support for React? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, I initially wanted to call it React Sandbox, but then I saw that the domain code sandbox was free. And I thought, okay, let's not, let's not limit ourselves to one framework. So we called it code sandbox. But initially for the first two, three months, I think it was only in React. And the reason for that was that we wanted to kind of polish the experience as much as we could. So if we only support React, our, uh, our possibilities get so get less and we can just focus on making this React experience perfect. And then when once we think it's perfect, we can move on to other things. And that's still the, something that we follow right now. Wow, very cool. So uh, that, that's a really interesting start to the project. You had this uh, problem and you thought, oh, I'll just create my own online environment and, and basically <laughs> go from there. Uh, definitely the hacker way of, of thinking about that. So that's awesome. And we've all benefited from it now uh, going forward. But it uh, it has grown into uh, so much more than that. It obviously supports uh, anything, really, it seems. Uh, it supports much more than React uh, at this point. And um, what what led you to, to that, to supporting more um, more projects like uh, Angular and Vue and Preact and and others. What uh, what was the motivation for for adding support for that? Was it just to be kind of a a more useful tool for a greater number of people? Yeah. Once we started with React and it got more popular, we started getting to get more questions from uh, other people, like uh, from the Vue community, if they could use Vue in Code Sandbox, and our GitHub issues were piling up with these kind of requests. <laughs> and the initial for yeah, and the initial version of code sandbox was super simple. Um, the we execute all the code in the browser, so we had to have a kind of bundler in the browser where it supports multiple files. But it was it was fairly simple, where we would transpile the code using Babel and then evaluate it, and we would do this for every file. But once we wanted to get few support, we needed to rewrite the bundler to support .few files and maybe Webpack loaders. So we had this idea that we first wanted to get React very good, so to say. And once we have more resources, we start working. Um, I start working on this new bundler in the meantime. And once that was out, once we had this bundler, it was super easy to start supporting Preact, Angular, and Vue. And that's kind of the way that we started doing things. Once we think that this experience is good enough, we put more time into kind of rewriting some stuff to make it the new 
frameworks or other frameworks uh, doable and then start kind of implementing it for them as well. And that's how it uh, kind of went. Very interesting. So I want to I want to dig into that a little bit more um, with with uh, how the bundler actually works. So the code that it's pulling, um, I assume it's pulling from uh, is it like npm or unpackage, and mm. and then doing all of that bundling locally in the browser. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. It's um, so we've had many iterations for making npm packages be supported in the browser because npm packages are huge. If you see an average React project, it can have like 800 megabytes of <laughs> node modules. <laughs> and oh, then yeah. you have to support that in the browser and you don't want everyone to that opens a project to have to download 800 megabytes. That would be the worst kind of web application you can build. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we had to take a different approach. Um, in the first version, we pre-bundled dependencies using Webpack. So we created a Webpack DLL bundle, and for every entry point, we had a separate function exported. That worked for some time, but when we started supporting other frameworks like Preact, Preact relies on aliases. And since we were using a pre-generated bundle, aliases didn't really work because those were pre-computed. So we started to move to something um, like you uh, mentioned now, um, unpackaged. So for every dependency request for every file request, we started to, uh, we did a request to unpackage to download the file. And now we have a bit more advanced system where we use some serverless functions to pre-compute the dependency graph and also pre-compute which files are probably needed by, uh, by the sandbox. And then we cache that result. So we send one big JSON blob with the probable files that are needed either by checking from the entry point and then traversing the AST and the dependency graph, including all the files of that, that, or by just thinking like, oh, if this file ends with .min.js, we probably don't need to include it in the bundle. Um, and it works now that it takes this big JSON file and uses those, those files. And for every file that was not accounted for in the JSON file, we do a separate unpackage request. That's how it currently works. Oh, wow. Very cool. So it has uh, some kind of algorithm that it runs then to try and figure out, um, based on what you said, the prob the most probable files that the project will need or the sandbox will need, and then bundles, or bundles those and um, sends them down and is able to run from there. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, pre-computing the files needed. Yeah, that's exactly it. Very cool. So that that's kind of how I got started with Code Sandbox uh, a little bit. Um, is about a year ago, I was one of those people making a request for uh, another project to be supported. I was trying to get Dojo supported on there. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that that was a very fun learning experience um, getting that going. But Dojo is a, a supported project on there now, and it's uh, very very fun and very uh, nice being able to not only share code snippets but also like use Code Sandbox as a tool to for bug bugs and uh, things like that where we can have a reproducible environment immediately from from users or uh, be able to pass that around. Yeah, I was so impressed by uh, your pull request because all the templates that were uh, kind of created before were created by me. And you just looked at the code and started to do a pull request for Dojo support. And that was super, yeah, I was super impressed by seeing that. And that's, that's the power of open source. People can build their own things and uh, we can merge it in. That's really cool. Yeah, that was really great. And the code was really easy to to follow along. So it's a, definitely a good project to 
um, to, to take a look at if you're looking to get into open source. Um, and with that, it, it seems like the one thing that I did notice with it is there's a lot of different technologies in there. Um, do you want to talk about what you built Code Sandbox on? Oh, yeah. Um, so Code Sandbox was a learning project for me. So the server is not written in Ruby on Rails or JavaScript. Um, it's written in Elixir uh, in Phoenix. So that was, I had to rewrite the server like three times to get to grasp the functional uh, programming patterns. But now I think that we have a pretty okay server, but it's uh, the server is in Elixir. Then we have some microservices for, for example, importing GitHub repositories. Those are in Node. Uh, the front end is in uh, React and JavaScript in general. The bundler is just in JavaScript, uh, vanilla. And then the database is uh, Postgres, and we have two Redis stores. And the cool thing about implementing the server in Elixir is that Elixir is a language that is super concurrent. When you have a normal uh, Elixir application running, you have like 10,000 processes running, and they communicate with each other. And that makes Elixir, the Elixir server very concurrent, and it can handle so many requests with so little, little resources at the same time. And this allowed us, for example, we have a functionality called Code Sandbox Live, where you have live collaboration, kind of like Google Docs. And this allowed us to have our uh, Elixir server handle everything of this with not that many resources. We now have like 400 WebSocket connections at the same time. And the server is not wow. really breaking a sweat, I think. <laughs> at least uh, from what I wow. noticed. <laughs> so that's uh, I'm uh, I fell in love with uh, with Elixir. It's a really cool, uh, really cool language. Very cool. That is uh, a part of it. Uh, I haven't looked at it. I, the back end is is not open source. Is that correct? It's just the the front end mm -hmm. and the microservices. Yep, that's true. Cool. And yeah, on the front end, I noticed. Uh, so it, it seems like it's written in um, like in with frameworks specifically it's written in react uh but also it's using flow in a lot of areas and a little bit of typescript <laughs> yeah this is kind of uh, <laughs> this is the evolution of our application um so it started <laughs> yeah it started with flow um then i didn't have that much discipline so some parts are not in flow and just javascript and okay we are now trying to make the move to TypeScript. We're slowly rewriting the code base to TypeScript, especially for, for some reasons. In the coming months, we want to grow a team that works on Code Sandbox. And using TypeScript, I think that helps with onboarding new people to get started with the code base really quick. Another reason is that we since recently have um, VS Code running in Code Sandbox. And VS mm -hmm. Code is in TypeScript. So we now have a kind of an interoperability layer between VS Code and Code Sandbox code base, but would be better if we would have Code Sandbox in TypeScript, VS Code in TypeScript, and then make them interoperable with full type definitions. That would be super nice. Um, yeah, and it's generally when for every library that we have, we opted to go for TypeScript because it's very easy to generate TypeScript definitions. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, we're now in this big mix of different things, and it's counterintuitive. So we want to move everything to TypeScript. I, I will say that obviously um, I'm a pretty big fan of TypeScript uh, and I think that it's it's a, a great solution uh, for a project like this and for really 
any Dodo or any uh, JavaScript project in my <laughs> in my book. Uh, but uh, for this, I think that it's really awesome because um, it like there there was type definitions not type definitions but there there's flow in there and so when I came in and started looking at the code uh, I was able to get a little bit of help with understanding what things were and kind of how things flowed through the application and where to look for things uh, and I think that having those types there really helped with that and I think that adding TypeScript will probably only make that simpler so that's yeah. awesome yeah so I'm a I'm a fan of TypeScript how they handle big projects and. Uh... The speed of it, it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I can't wait to, to help out with that too. Um, so you, you touched on a few features uh, of Code Sandbox. You mentioned specifically things like live support and uh, VS Code and and those. And I, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about those and what, um, w what features are available within Code Sandbox. So um, can you give us uh, an idea of that? Oi. Um, so you can... For code sandbox, you can embed code sandbox in Medium or any place. We have a separate application of code sandbox that's for embeds. You can also, wow. uh, yeah, it's really cool. It's because it's a lower application size, so that makes it easier. We also support importing from GitHub repositories. And the cool thing of this is, is that when the GitHub repository updates, we automatically update the sandbox, so they stay in sync. That that is the single coolest feature I think of Code Sandbox is <laughs> being able to keep it in sync with with GitHub repositories and just being able to say, oh, I have some example code here, push it to GitHub, and then oh, here is a Code Sandbox link to it. It's just so nice and easy. Yeah, that's I I really am a fan of this because it's also um, it's a kind of like an immutable system where people cannot edit the sandbox directly, and this allows us to uh, sync it with GitHub. A nice edit thing that we added, I think half a year ago or maybe a bit longer is that you can also commit back to github so if you fork the sandbox and make changes you can click on commit and then it will create a new com commit in the github repository or you can create a pull request or you can create a new branch and fork the sandbox uh, fork the github repository those kind of things um those are kind of the new things in uh github support i did not even know this <laughs> i did not know that you could you could commit right back to github from code sandbox yeah it's super it's super cool <laughs> yeah but that is uh that is one of the nice uh new things of code sandbox um another thing that you can do is uh create a live session so for a sandbox that you own, you can create a live uh, session and you can share this URL with others. Everyone with the URL can then join the sandbox and you can see each other editing live at the same time. But there's also a special mode called classroom mode. And if you enable that mode as the owner, you can say who can make edits and who cannot make edits. So you can kind of use it in a workshop scenario, for example, or in any other kind of scenario where you just want to show someone how something works and they can follow along, fork along the way. Or uh, and you can give them access to edit as well. Another feature that we have is recently is dashboard. So you have now have a very cool dashboard where you can see all your sandboxes and you can organize them as kind of in a Google Drive way in different directories and folders, and they can be nested. A cool thing is that you can also share directories with teams. Uh, that's a new thing. So you can create a team you can invite people to the team and they will get a notification that they are invited to the team and everyone that has the same directory in the team can if someone opens a sandbox that that's um, owned by the team and someone else in the team owns, opens the same sandbox they automatically go in a live session together 
so they can kind of work together uh in a in a live way oh wow um yeah that's it's uh kind of like an unnoticed feature i think yeah that's really cool so that live session feature how does that work um i assume that's doing it over WebSockets, uh but okay. is it using some kind of like um crdt or uh conflict-free replicated data type or or something along those lines yeah we're using um operational transforms um I was at the start when I wanted to develop this feature, I was considering using CRDTs. Um, but CRDTs is kind of like a new way to do a conflict uh, resolution. And operational mm -hmm. transforms was there, I think, already since the 80s. So there was more documentation on um, on operational transforms, especially since the Google Drive team has written so many documentation on how they made uh, operational transforms work for the Google Doc scenarios. Um, so I decided to go with operational transforms because that was most documented. Um, and that's how it currently works. You have one kind of host in the, it's a kind of peer-to-peer -peer system. And um, you have one host that has all the state. And then when people make edits, they communicate with the host and uh, maybe time travel to uh, resolve all conflict. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Catch your errors before your users do with Rollbar. If you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they have a special offer for you. Go to rollbar.com slash changelog. Sign up and integrate Rollbar to get $100 to donate to open source projects via Open Collective. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. So some of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit more just going forward in into the next section is um, uh, maybe a little bit about some struggles. It seems like you're doing a lot with a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different technologies and a lot of different uh, paradigms like operational transforms and all sorts of different languages and frameworks. And uh, so kind of talking about maybe some of the challenges with that or, or some of the harder parts of a project like this. Yeah, I mostly started using these technologies because my way of learning is by doing. So I need to have a goal in mind when I want to learn a new technology. And it doesn't always, uh, it's not perfect. For example, the Elixir server is, it's pretty hard to uh, get contributions in Elixir because you're building an application for a JavaScript community. And naturally the JavaScript community will be most interested in contributing. And if you have your server in Elixir, then there is this kind of learning curve that they have to go through first before they can start contributing. And for the same reason, it's pretty hard to find people interested in uh, joining the team knowing of Elixir. So that's that's one of the, if I would start Code Sandbox again, maybe I wouldn't have written the whole API server in Elixir, even though I do love the language, but this is kind of like a unique situation where you're building something for developers and the developers in this case are not Elixir developers. So that's one of the things. Um, from I also have some other things that were kind of hard. For example, for Code Sandbox Live, I wanted to do it before I want before we release it. So 
the Code Sandbox Live that we have currently was my second try. The first try um, was I was researching. And like I said before, operational transforms, there's lots of documentation available. And it started to get a bit overwhelming. So I canceled my research for that feature at some point and then um, opted in for going for a more basic version. So the idea was that when someone is editing the file, that no one else can edit at the same time. Um, but I started showing it to uh, Kent C. Dots, and he was so enthusiastic. And then he asked, like, would it be possible to edit at the same time? And I thought, oh, that was something that I tried <laughs> to evade here. <laughs> so I went back to the drawing board, started uh, thinking on how we could implement this still in a in a in an operational transform way. And um, then I found a way to do it, and that started to yeah, that's how we know how we have Code Sandbox Live right now. But initially, it was there was so much information available. I got an information overflow, so to say. <laughs> yeah, Kent is definitely somebody on Twitter who I've seen be very enthusiastic about uh, Code Sandbox and specifically Code Sandbox <laughs> Live. Uh, it's <laughs> it's really cool seeing that, uh, and even seeing him talk about using Code Sandbox as um, kind of a primary editor in some cases, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so there there's some definitely some features in there that would allow you to do that, where you could um, use Code Sandbox as a, a complete primary editor that you would use just like VS Code or others. And in fact, you've made that even easier in uh, the most recent versions with a new experimental feature, uh, which is VS Code running in Code Sandbox. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. This is the thing that I'm most excited about currently. I'm a big fan of VS Code, and um, the only reason that we were able to get VS Code working in Code Sandbox is because uh, they have such a good infrastructure. Their code is so organized of VS Code. They even they even separate the files based on if they need node uh, node utilities or not. And oh wow! VS, yeah, VS Code has uh, such a nice. Uh, yeah, their code is very clear. So initially, I tried it before getting VS Code um, running in the browser, and I did it from a bottom-up approach, I believe. I started to, I just tried to run the JavaScript in the browser, and I got errors, and then I would mock the APIs of Electron and continue from there. I, I spent some days trying this, and it didn't really work. Um, more and more errors were piling up, and it got more and more hacky. So I went... The second time I went from a top-down approach where I tried to um, implement some very simple services first. Like I wanted to get the quick open uh, working in the browser. So I just started to import that part of VS Code and I tried to get that working. And it was interesting because I found out that quick open uses a lot of different services in VS Code. <laughs> so it took a while to get everything. Like there were so many dependencies that uh, quick open had. Like if you open quick open in VS Code, it has so much functionality. Like it can go through the outline view. It can run the whole command palette. It can have the quick open for files. It can also show a help menu to help you with, if you don't know what to do with the quick open even, uh, you can go to symbols and the workspace, the install extensions. There is so much that you can do with quick open. So it, in hindsight, it wasn't the best way to start, but I got more rendering than before. And that was um, very promising. So I started to implement more and more of VS Code. I slowly started to replace um, functionality of VS Code, like the file service with 
uh, a service that's connected to Code Sandbox. So the file service would normally use FS to get all the files. And in the Code Sandbox version, it would just use the Code Sandbox state to return the files. Slowly, everything more and more started working, and I got the editor working. And the really cool thing right now is we have implemented so many different functionalities with the Code Sandbox side for VS Code that, for example, I tried last week to get the uh, find all files working, like the search the search bar um, mm-hmm. in Code Sandbox, uh, search all files. And it worked on first try because it was already using the services and uh, functionalities that I had kind of re-implemented in with the VS Code side. So it's really cool to see how how this opens up. It's like a game where you unlock skills and then you get new functionality <laughs> for those skills. And it's really cool to see that it now works so well. And I started doing this with the idea that I don't want to change existing code. I don't want to delete code either. So almost everything is new code added to VS Code, which makes um, merging with their master really easy. I don't get many merge conflicts when I merge with their master. And the last time that I merged with their master, it was kind of, it was a month later after the initial implementation. And it took about an hour uh, to implement everything. So the cool thing is uh, that whenever you see a VS Code change log, it I hope that it wouldn't make take much time to implement it in Code Sandbox, and we can just kind of copy paste the VS Code change log and make it a Code Sandbox change log. And that's yeah, I'm really wow. excited by this functionality. It's uh, really nice. That's great. So you'll be able to to uh, pretty quickly stay on top of new new features coming down the pipe uh, in VS Code. Yeah, that's really cool. And I, I love that uh, that you mentioned how you got started with this idea is, uh, I'll just try and run it in the browser and see what breaks and, and just go from there. Right? Like, that's just such a an easy response. But when you think about it, like if I were thinking about doing this, like I would stress about that so much, it seems, uh, before I actually got into it. Because I, I don't know, just being scared of that, that initial, you know, a thousand errors that I would probably see or something like that. Just trying to to run something where it wasn't meant to be run initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's really cool. Um, so just for my own sanity to to kind of understand this better, I know that before this, um, Code Sandbox was using, uh, it actually had two editor implementations, or it still has them, but it has Codemare and then Monaco. Uh, and Monaco is also, like, this is where I was confused a little bit initially, because Monaco is kind of the editor within VS Code. But when you're talking about adding more VS Code support, it is for things that are beyond the editor. Is that correct? A, a correct way of saying that? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So Monaco is, they, it's like the core editor of VS Code. And then they started re-implementing some functionalities, uh, like I kind of like I did to make it work in the browser. Um, they also mocked some functionality, but it's the core editor. And that already has helped me with kind of thinking on how to approach this. But um, with Code Sandbox, we now have something called the workbench of VS Code implemented as well. And the workbench is kind of the UI around the core editor. So um, for example, the settings view or um, the quick open or uh, breadcrumbs, user snippets, key bindings, command service, all those things um, now work directly in the browser. And that is um, kind of the new functionality that you get with this. And the nice thing of this is, is that we were able to add this functionality on top of our existing Monaco editor. So 
We now load the Monaco editor, but when you have VS Code enabled, we also send a separate package to the browser that enables this workbench functionality. And this package is like 320 kilobytes minified in GZIP. And um, I oh. think, yeah, I think it's really cool that this functionality fits into this small size. Well, it's it's a pretty big size if you think about it, but the functionality that you get with it is, uh, I think that's worth it. Oh yeah, definitely. So um, Adam in the chat is saying, uh, interesting to see if there's any overlap with Microsoft uh, in the future. Have you had any um, anyone from Microsoft talk about this or or see this and, and give feedback? Yeah, so I, I sent out a tweet when I just got VS Code work in the browser. I sent out a tweet and sent a video. And um, Kenneth of the VS Code team contacted me and we just did a meeting to talk about how it works. And uh, yeah, we were kind of like... Uh, yeah, we were talking about how it works, and then they said if that I, if I have any questions, I can go to them and uh, ask them. But that's yeah, that's kind of the and I sometimes send uh, kind of an, a message to show what we have at this point, and they're very supportive. That's really cool. They uh, are as enthusiastic as I am with getting this in the working in the browser. Yeah, so I did talk a bit with them. That's really cool and really encouraging to hear. So there, there's. Uh, a lot of features in Code Sandbox with this, and a lot of features that we haven't even touched on yet. Um, more, <laughs> most recently, uh, there. So w when I started looking at this, like one of the big things was being able to take uh, the Dojo code and run it in the browser uh, without having to do any compilation. And you make that really easy because it, the environment can do transpilation of TypeScript really easy in the browser, and then deliver that. Uh, but You've simplified that even more or um, expanded Code Sandbox's uh, usability with pretty much anything now, it seems, uh, with the introduction of uh, containers. And now you can actually run code um, that has like build steps and deliver that. And it's all still within the same friendly Code Sandbox environment. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, because the initial version of Code Sandbox, all the code was executed in the browser. and Mm -hmm. This was really, really nice because it allowed us to bootstrap Code Sandbox kind of with with low uh, server costs. For the first year, we did everything on a $40 a month server because all the code was executed by the users. We were sort of, I don't know if you can call it Bitcoin mining, but we let the user execute the code and we don't do anything with the code. We were just a data server. Um, and this has many advantages. You can run code offline. It's more, it's very responsive. And um, we can do some custom functionality, but it's also quite hacky because, for example, for our create React app template, we don't use the real create React app to run the code. We kind of simulate the Webpack configuration in our own bundler to run the code. And this can cause uh, some confusion sometimes. And it also doesn't support everything because, for example, if a framework needs to use the shell or if they need to do uh, use, for example, a node utility, then that's not possible. So we were um, working on something called Code Sandbox Containers, where for some templates, we execute the code on the server in a container, in a Docker container. And um, we kind of then send the contents of what is generated by the dev server back to Code Sandbox. And that's kind of like a two-way two uh, uh, communication and 
this functionality, the whole infrastructure of this is entirely built by Bogdan. That's really cool. He's been a huge help for Coach Sandbox. He also did the latest infrastructure of Coach Sandbox with Kubernetes. And uh, yeah, we've released it very recently, I think now a month ago, and we already see so many interesting things built on Coach Sandbox, like Reason uh, Sandboxes. Also, React Native has been built in on Coach Sandbox now. We also see lots of Next, Gatsby, Nux templates. So we can now kind of run everything that works locally. Another cool thing is, is that the computation is not done in the browser anymore for those templates. So when you have not a very beefy uh, computer, then that doesn't really matter because the Yarn install, the um, transpilation, the bundling all happens on an external server. So that makes it a bit easier as well. Very cool. So just to to summarize that we can run code in the browser uh, with all of these different templates. We can run code in containers and, and uh, use the build steps if they have them uh, for, for certain templates. Uh, and then also with this, you can deploy straight to uh, Zeit's Now service. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also have a deploy, uh, yeah, deploy functionality where you can deploy your code, production version of your code to Zeit Now. <laughs> that's, that's just crazy. So you can do all of this in the browser uh, and push to GitHub. Uh, commit to GitHub or send a pull request. It really is a full developer environment in a browser, which is really awesome. Um, and with that, is that kind of the motivation that you have with Code Sandbox and where it's going? Do you want it to be uh, a competitor with um, more traditional offline editors like VS Code or or Vim or or something that I would run on my machine? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question because Code Sandbox is kind of with both legs in a in a separate world, so to say. Code mm -hmm. is still mostly used for code prototyping. So whenever someone has a problem they or someone wants to show something, then they share it um, by creating a code sandbox or sandbox and send it shared with other people. But there are also people who create their whole personal website or um, any kind of new project on code sandbox. And I think both use cases are very valid. Um, when we started Code Sandbox, we set out some goals, um, and these fit the goals. So the first goal was that we wanted to make it easier to get started with web development. So no local tool installation before you can get started. Uh, the second one is that we should encourage uh, discoverability and shareability between uh, between different people. And the third one is that we wanted to have a local development experience like like as if you are in your local editor and that you can use it as your local editor and there are some touching grounds between the two worlds for example when someone just gets started with web development they probably want to start building something like a personal website and we want to make it so that people don't have we want to like not make people leave the browser so we want to implement this functionality so that that they don't have to leave the browser to build this because then they do have to install the tooling. And we're getting there more and more with the VS Code implementation and also with the containerization. And we still have a lot to do to make it viable for like full production applications. For example, Code Sandbox. I don't think Code Sandbox would be able to run in Code Sandbox right now, uh, but that's certainly a goal that we want to <laughs> achieve. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, that, that would be super cool. Uh, at the same time, we also want to build, uh, make it easier for a community to start to share examples. And I think that we've been neglecting this for 
a while. Um, we should definitely make it easier for people to share sandboxes within Code Sandbox. We should also make it easier for people to discover new Code Sandboxes, those kind of things. And that's also one of the um, points that we're working on. So we're working really on two points right now, and that's um, make it more viable for full-blown web application development and also make it easier to um, to share your sandboxes so we can kind of create a community behind Code Sandbox. Very cool. In the past, I've, I've taught some workshops on um, development, JavaScript development and uh, specific frameworks or testing, things like that. and uh, as our tool chains have gotten more complex, teaching has become a lot harder. And that, that has <laughs> been kind of a complaint in the web world because, you know, JavaScript was a perfect beginner language because it was just so easy to have a, a browser and notepad or, or just a simple editor and be able to write and run code. And while you still can do that in a lot of ways, it's getting harder and harder because we have things that we need to transpile if we want to use new features or if we want to use JSX or um, TypeScript or anything like that. We're introducing all of these more complex build chains. And the workshops uh, that I was teaching, they got more complex too, where we'd have to spend more time getting people's environments set up for the workshop and making sure that everybody's on the same page with that. And that kind of can take away from the learning uh, of everyone because we're we're stuck fixing small bugs in someone's environment that's running Linux or Windows or <laughs> something that, you know, we didn't test enough in. Uh, but this is really a nice kind of um, alternative environment for that, where you can basically code up and deliver a an environment that can run exactly what you need to teach, but also you can share and you can work on it together. And there, there's just so many um, possibilities with teaching when, when it comes to this. So that's that's really cool. And it's, it feels like it's filling in a gap that uh, we've created by making our, our tool chains more complex. It's kind of like bringing few source back. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at .tech, a new top-level domain extension to consider when purchasing your next domain for your next big idea. .tech is a domain extension specifically intended for the tech community. And more often than not, I don't know about you, but when I search for a URL to consider for a big idea, the .com, the .net, and many others are already taken or they're quite costly to register. So with one year starting at $4.99 and five years starting at $24.99, when you use our special code changelog, they're super affordable to grab, snag, and use. Head to get.tech to get started. Once again, get.tech to get started and use our code changelog or click through using the link in the show notes. And by our friends over at DigitalOcean. What we love most about DigitalOcean is one-click installs, deploys that are super easy. It doesn't really require you to know much about a server to get up and running one-click installs for node.js to an ssd cloud server in literally 55 seconds or even less and the same experience you can have with a one-click install you can have with pretty much anything you build out by taking a snapshot of your droplet you can build out the best javascript app friendly server and literally deploy it with no time at all manage your own stuff run your own stuff deploy to digital ocean and make life easy for you head to do.co slash changelog, pay less, deploy more, build better web apps with DigitalOcean, and a free $100 credit. Once again, do.co slash changelog.
So there's a lot of functionality within Code Sandbox uh, already, and things are, are growing, and you, you shared your goals, the three goals of, of where you'd like to, to take Code Sandbox. Uh, along those lines, is there anything uh, big that you're working on right now that you'd like to share? So we just released two uh, big features. And at this point, I'm kind of stabilizing those features. So uh, we have VS Code, which is in a beta, beta phase, and also containers, which is not stable yet. So we're trying to stabilize them right now, make them the defaults. Um, not for containers, by the way. We just want to stabilize containers. And I'm not working that much on new fun functionality right now, mostly small things of UX problems that we've had before. Um, but we are trying to, so I st I did an internship at Facebook and um, I finished that internship two months ago, I think. And at that point I had to make the decision if I want to go full-time with Code Sandbox or if I want to go um, work at Facebook. And I made the decision to go full-time on uh, Code Sandbox. So we're going to try to make this a viable full-time business so we're mostly on the um we're mostly doing startup things now <laughs> like meetings building a pitch deck building pitches as well um it's a very different world um i think i enjoy development a bit more but it's still <laughs> interesting to experience this um so it's yeah that's what i'm currently um, mostly kind of obsessed with very cool and that that's really interesting um and, and really exciting uh that you're, you're going to be growing this and and continuing it uh do you always see uh code sandbox as being an, an open source project yeah yeah we'll stay true to the open source side of things very cool uh and with that you so you said that you started this while you were attending university and uh Code Sandbox has kind of exploded in popularity. Uh, it's got over 5,000 stars on GitHub for the the client project. And um, how has that been growing and maintaining an open source project and um, growing and maintaining a community around that while also <laughs> attending university and interning at Facebook and doing all of these other things? <laughs> yeah, it's quite challenging. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, when I, when, so in April, we released uh, Code Sandbox, and yeah, it's um, so hard to combine with studies. I did try to continue studies with Code Sandbox at the same time, but as Code Sandbox got more popular, my grades declined, so to say. <laughs> <laughs> at some point um, since September 2017, so the new school year started, at that point, I, I only uh, passed a few tests, uh, and I decided to start to focus full-time on Code Sandbox um, last February because at that point I was trying to combine both and it made both not very successful, so to say. I didn't focus on one thing which made the two other things worse. So I decided to work full-time on Code Sandbox in February and um, then the internship at Facebook started and um, that is also a full-time thing. So I did Code Sandbox mostly in the evenings. Um, I had a pretty rigid schedule but it was very it was still very nice to work at facebook because you were in the same world so there was not that much context switching i was working on the javascript foundation team so i was working on um on metro uh the javascript bundler and hmm. it had so many 
parallels with code sandbox that was really cool and it's um all the vs code functionality is also built during my time at facebook um it's a really inspirational environment and you meet so many interesting people so i'm really happy that i did that internship there but my main takeaway from it is that if you i i should have kind of i should have worked full-time on code sandbox earlier i was trying to tell myself that i could combine them but i think i kind of knew that it was pretty impossible to combine them and i still tried to believe it and i kept on doing that for half a year only after half a year i decided okay now i need to pause my study for a bit and work full-time on code sandbox because working on both is not getting me anywhere yeah i can't even imagine the strain of that so that that's that's understandable for sure uh and it definitely allows you to to focus more on uh, features and uh, now growing Code Sandbox into a full business is really cool. Um, how how has it been maintaining a an open source community? Is this kind of the first big um, or larger community that you have uh, kind of fostered and and maintained? Yeah, yeah. This is the really my first open source project. I'd say uh, it's uh, I can be pretty bad at it because I am someone who likes to focus on one thing and then let everything around it go. That's also why my study and Code Sandbox didn't work well together. So for example, when I was working on Code Sandbox Live, I was just working full-time on this feature and didn't want any distractions. So I didn't check my GitHub for four days or something, five days. That's not a good habit to, habit to have to build a community. And uh, I started to get better at it, um, keep more up to date with the issues, but it's still, it takes a lot of time to, but it also bears its fruits, so to say, because we've had so many different contributions in open source right now. And Code Sandbox has benefited so much from the contributions. And that's really cool. Um, I'm very happy that we decided to go open source with this because this open source project has, yeah, it's uh, there is now a community behind it. There are people who contribute often, we have core contributors, and this definitely reduces some strain to development. Very cool. And uh, from my experience, uh, contributing to the project has been very pleasant. You've always been very quick and uh, cheerful with things that we want to do, like bring Dojo <laughs> to it or, uh, or other fixes. And so uh, that's definitely very much appreciated. Um, and I, I also noticed that this was the first project that I had contributed to that, um, uses, and I can't remember the name of it, but, uh, it basically allows you to become a, to, to add your name, uh, and your, uh, picture from GitHub to the contributors list, uh, yeah. which I thought was really cool. Yeah. That's such a cool tool. It's built by uh, can see dots and, uh. The okay. nice thing, yeah. The nice thing about it is that you can also add yourself as a contributor when you haven't contributed code. For example, if you have contributed to the docs, we can still put you on the uh, README file. Or if you have contributed with an idea, for example, it's um, it's a way to also um, acknowledge people who don't write code for you but help you in in another way. And I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, and it's also can be very motivating for someone to. To say, like, like, not necessarily that they would contribute just to get their picture on there, but, you know, to be able to say, oh, I'm on the Code Sandbox uh, client, read me. That's really cool. <laughs> and a good, can be a good motivator, I suppose. If yeah. things like uh, Hacktoberfest work, you know, that can definitely work as well, uh, which is really cool because it's all positive. Yeah. And 
we also highlight it in the on code sandbox itself. When you are a contributor, we show a small icon next to your username where it says this is a contributor to code sandbox. I, I noticed I have a little I think it's a hard hat icon. Yep. That's really cool. But there are other ways to support code sandbox. Uh, and there's this idea of becoming a uh, a patron where you uh, actually donate or or pay monthly to code sandbox and you get a little bit more um, features and functionality like things like private uh, sandboxes and and other things. Uh, what's the conversion like that, Ben? I'd say we have a pretty I don't think we have a very high conversion. Uh, we have many people who go to the website and uh, create an account, but not that many who become patrons. It's funny because we can see a direct co- correlation between features that we enable for patrons and how many patrons we get. For example, at the start, when Code Sandbox just got Code Sandbox Live, we only enabled it for patrons because we wanted to handle the load. And suddenly we saw like four or five times increase in patrons a day. <laughs> that was so interesting oh, wow. to see. Yeah, and then, yeah, then we removed the feature uh, for patrons. Well, we made it available for everyone and suddenly our patrons per day went down too. <laughs> That's really interesting to see. Um, but we don't want to, at least I don't want to build features for a small percentage of our users. So that's why I'm always leaning towards building it for everyone. And the nice thing is patrons generate us enough money to pay for our server costs. So we don't have really a burn rate. And um, that allows us to kind of survive. Um, so I'm super happy with this patron feature because also now most people that pay for patron or they want private sandboxes or they like the project so much that they want to support it. And I think that's uh, knowing that that's really nice. Yeah, that's such a great way to give back to to open source. Uh, so it's, it's definitely appreciated. And there's so many features that a project like Code Sandbox has that you know, it, it definitely makes sense to give back either in code or uh, filing bugs or becoming a patron. So that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So um, what, what motivates you with, with code sandbox and, and like motivates it's the future of it with what you, what you like to see added to it, what, um, what you wish you could change. I am most motivated by lots of people using it. I really like to see like um, how many people use it. I also like to see everything that has been created on Code Sandbox. It's uh, uh, today we uh, for Code Sandbox we did our first thing on our Twitter account where we kind of um, send out the most five most popular sandboxes of the past week, and I think that we should oh, cool. do this far more often. We should we should make it easy for people to explore what has been created because we now have this gold mine of information. Um, recently, we had we hit the one million sandboxes milestone, and we can now just um, we should use this information and to inspire people to help to help them find uh, new popular sandboxes or maybe share sandbox within code sandbox. So the thing that I'm most excited about in the future is enabling people to uh, collaborate, make it easier for people to collaborate, kind of connect people, uh, connect people to work on the different sandboxes together, also to help them explore the new sandboxes. Kind of we should be. Ev- like a valuable tool for the ecosystem to find inspiration or to find new ideas. Um, and we're currently lacking on it. We have a good editor experience, but we don't have uh, a good exploration. So that's something that I'm super excited about to get into the short term. In the long term, we should have an editor that 
is viable for creating any kind of project and we should have it connected to containers. And from then on, every computer that you will see is your development environment. Because when you just get some random computer, open code sandbox, you can continue working on your project or you get this other random computer, even if it's like a $100 Chromebook uh, and it doesn't have any specs. We use cloud computing, so the code sandbox containers to execute the code. So it doesn't need resources. So imagine that you can just see every device that you have as your development device. That is such a powerful idea. And in the long term, I I want to, yeah, I want to get this. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's a good, um, uh, a good thing to mention is that it can run anywhere. And I've used it on uh, an iPad before, and it's a, a good environment uh, on there. The, you know, I, I have problems with the keyboard on the iPad, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, but th- those aren't your problems. And uh, so it's, it's just really cool. And, and with that, there's really no limit to where you can run it. You can run it on really cheap laptops or, um, very expensive equipment and, uh, it works all the same. So that's really cool with that, that kind of expansion that you were talking about. Uh, did you mean expansion into, um, other languages as well, besides just being a, a front end development tool? Yeah. Um, yeah, we kind of have the same mantra, so to say, we want to make the, um, JavaScript experience super good. And once we get that super, super good, we want to explore adding more languages. Very cool. So um, there, there's definitely other tools like this out there. And uh, you recently had a blog post uh, kind of about this and, and how comparing Code Sandbox to those other tools is kind of demotivating. And I totally agree with that. Uh, and instead, you focused on on some of the, the big features that, that Code Sandbox has and, and uh, talked about that. That's a, a really cool, positive way of, of um, talking about that and distinguishing um, Code Sandbox, I think. So that's really cool. Um, so, and also one other thing that I, I learned, I did not realize that Code Sandbox had a CLI tool that you could import projects with. But I think that tools like that and and knowing that um, and being able to to run any project is is just going to be so big for for Code Sandbox going forward because you'll be able to to share anything and the. Uh, tight integration that you have with GitHub and being able to really take um, potentially any repo in the future and being able to run it in this environment and edit and then commit back all within Code Sandbox. I think that's going to be such a huge uh, feature of it going forward is just the interoperability and and ease of being able to to go where the code is, which is GitHub in, in many cases, uh, and then get it running, which can be like deploying it uh, right from within the tool. Yeah, I agree. Um, the The accessibility is really important here, that it's easy to get started mm-hmm. with your existing code. That's something that I'm super excited about as well. So is there um, anything else that you'd like to to uh, chat with us about Code Sandbox that we haven't covered? There is one feature that came to mind, which I'm super enthusiastic about, but nobody really notices it, which is a good thing, but I still want to talk about it someday. So maybe I can talk about it now. Sure. Okay. So for most projects, we execute the code in the browser. uh, And sometimes people experience this as slow. Imagine that you have a project uh, with Webpack. You expect it to be, to get to like boot up within uh, only after like 40 seconds, for example, or 30 seconds. 
uh, and that's even fast. But if you go to a website, you suddenly expect the project to show in three seconds. You don't have the 30, 40 seconds to let this transpile. And we had we were often pretty fast with uh, with transpiling the code because we use uh, web workers to transpile everything. So we try to parallelize everything. But sometimes it can be a bit slow. So we now have, whenever someone loads a project, uh, uh, a sandbox project, we cache the bundler result, like the transpiled files, the dependency graph, etc. We kind of put it in the browser in IndexedDB, and we also send it to our API. So Code Sandbox has one Redis cache with all different compilation results of sandboxes, like transpilation results, etc. And we have a very cool way of uh, invalidating this cache. But for example, when someone loads a sandbox and then sends the compilation result to the server, then when the next person loads this sandbox, we just send this transpilation result back to the uh, to the user and they don't have to transpile anything. So we have kind of like have a cache for all the sandbox projects, for all the compilation results hosted on our server. It's kind of like, yeah, it's. I think that's a super cool idea, like that you can cache your bundler results. And I know that Metro is also exploring these ideas a lot, and they're very good at it. But in this case, we're trying to cache all the projects that have been created on Code Sandbox and make it easier for people that, uh, yeah, that if they open a sandbox that they don't have to do any computing. We pre-computed everything that takes a lot of resources. Very cool. Where can people reach you at, uh, Yves? Oh, I'm on Twitter. So it's compu, C-O-M-P-U, and then Ives, I-V-E-S. Oh, I have a new email since this week. It's ives at codesandbox.io. <laughs> so if people want to reach me that way, that works as well. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was a really, you're a very good host. All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. Read us an Apple podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.